Welcome to the Nintendo Fusion Podcast, a podcast that fuses past, present, and future Nintendo thought. I'm David, accompanied by my friend Jordan. Now, Jordan, what does Bowser and the desert level from Mario Bros. 3 have in common? Or I guess what do they have in common? Um they're both really hot. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I was I was expecting that turd. <laughs> That's interesting. Um They both have angry sons. Ah. <laughs> Bowser Jr. gets very mad at his dad in Sunshine, and you have the angry son that's trying to kill you throughout the entire level in My Rose 3. So there you go. That was a good one, right? <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> It's better than the one that you were fielding <laughs> before. The oh, episode. hey, we're not we're not talking about that one. <laughs> I I did not expect a page that said Nintendo jokes just be filled with absolutely awful, filthy jokes. So I will save our listeners from those. Um, but anyway, uh, it's been a little bit since we've recorded, and uh, we are actually at the end of the year. Twenty twenty three has come to a close. And with it, so has Nintendo's 2023. Uh, This episode, we're going to talk mostly about kind of how the year went, some of our impressions, and of course, our top games for 2023. And then I think we're going to talk at least a little bit about the 2024 lineup and what we're expecting or hoping for in the next year. Isn't that right? Yeah. And... Uh, for our discussion on like games that came out this year, basically any release that was a substantial release, such as a major update to DLC, or I guess we even included a re-release here, but (laughs) (laughs) we needed an even 10 games. And so uh, we, I guess between David and I, we played exactly 10 games. If we include this (laughs) (laughs) re-release, it's perfect. What can we say? It's the end of the switch's life. And, there were some really great games, but, you know, most of these third party games and indie games are all coming out on other platforms. So I think we picked up a lot of those on other platforms and probably just played more games on other platforms in general this year. <laughs> yeah, I played a lot of games on other platforms. Um, most of them were all right. There are three games on. a Well, two games on other platforms. I really, really enjoyed. Maybe I'll talk about those. I might also talk mm-hmm. about Starfield, which is not a game I really enjoyed, but was something that had like a big impact on me for the year. Yeah. But yeah. we'll see. We're not entirely sure if we're going to talk about that. Yeah, we'll see. Depends on how the episode's going and the length and whatnot. But to prep this list, Jordan and I independently made little tier lists for the different games that came out this year and then prepared our top 10 based off of the best scores from those lists. Yeah. We didn't d- decide to do any point assigning this year because there's only two of us. Yeah. Right? Back when we were doing Virtual Boys, when there were four of us, we did. We aggregated the scores. Um, and earlier on in this podcast, we tried doing that. But with just two people, it always became like a mess. And there was always like weird scoring. So we we, we decided to just just go with whoever scored a game the highest. That was its score. Um, just better to be positive than negative, I guess. Yeah, I think that works the best. So I guess we should just go ahead and get started on our number 10 game of the year, which is the Scarlet and Violet DLC. (laughs) Which also Uh, means it was the worst game we played this year because we played exactly 10 (laughs) games this year. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, look, I, I don't think I've made it very much a secret on this podcast anymore. I was very optimistic about Scarlet and Violet going in. 
back when the games first launched. And yeah, they were a really fun game to play the first time. But I have since seen the light and have compared the game oh. with other titles on the Switch. And yeah, I just I can't do it anymore. The game just does not feel that fun for me to play anymore. And the DLC didn't really change any of that. Scarlet and Violet launched two DLC packs this year with the Indigo Disc, which came out just a couple weeks ago, and the Teal Mask, which came out, I think, this summer, late summer. I don't remember the exact dates. Um, They added whole new regions to the game, and they're fun, and they add a lot of new content, but the biggest turnoff for me was that they were $35 to get the DLC, and yeah, they're big, huge areas, but they only add in... Pokemon that, you know, could have potentially been in the game from the beginning, like the return of Pokemon thanks to Dexit. Uh, And then they only added, like, I think a total of 10 new Pokemon with the DLC. Yeah, for thirty five dollars didn't feel good. Applin of evolutions. <laughs> That's true. They, those are both good. Diplin and Hydrapple are awesome. <laughs> they gave two new evolutions to my fa- one of my favorite Pokemon ever made. Um, which is the a first for uh pokemon evolutionary line we had tyrogue which could evolve into three separate forms but this is like slightly different where instead of just having three separate evolutions or branched evolutions one of those evolutions continues on into another form which is just bizarre yeah um i don't know why applin got so much love um but I'll take it. <laughs> it's a great Pokemon. It's cute and its forms are great because uh, it's also funny because uh, Applin's other evolutions, uh, Appleton and Flapple had Gigantamax forms. So it already had love last generation. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. I, I absolutely adore Applin. The idea of just having like this wyvern worm. It's, it's a worm, right? It's it's a, yeah, it's a it's worm. spelling of worm like. <laughs> <laughs> The storybooks got it wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not W-Y-R-M. It's W-O-R-M. Come on, guys. But, yeah. Um, absolutely love Applin. They clearly added in there just to try and get me to buy the DLC, and it did not work. I did not buy the DLC. So I wasn't here <laughs> to defend the DLC from David. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I can get you the Applin evolution. I have a bunch. <laughs> so, so I don't even need the DLC. Great. Nope. <laughs> and to be fair, they added in some... New Pokemon uh, Paradox forms for Suicune, Entei, Raikou, as well as Terrakian, Virizion, and Cobalion. I I don't want to go over the names of their Paradox forms, but they're pretty cool. The only problem is, is you can only catch one of each, and they don't spawn in the wild like the rest of the Paradoxes do. And, but they're not classified as legendaries like Coridon and Miraidon are. And they're also all shiny locked, so isn't that fun? Yay. I don't know. They man. also shiny locked every single returning legendary. So even though you can go catch like 25 legendaries in the game, they're all shiny locked and they screwed up how they assign IVs to them. So instead of having a guaranteed three perfect IVs, every single one of them is random. So like some people might get screwed and get an awful legendary when they go out to to do it. And anyway, I, I just have my issues with <laughs> the DLC. Yeah, the the Dexit stuff so has me bummed out. Like, yeah, <laughs> and then yeah, what was it? Ursula got like an insane. Um, oh yeah, Ursaluna's like alternate form in the blood, uh, blood moon form is incredible. But you can only get one. Yeah, I've been hearing rumblings of a potential ban. Yeah, it probably will be banned. 
at least from like the small gun circles because nintendo doesn't do bans in vgc yeah, yeah uh, i don't know the decks that stuff still has me kind of bummed out because one of the things that i could have gotten behind for the decks that stuff is well it just lets them curate a better um vgc experience one that's less focused on legendaries because then you only really have the legendaries from the new game and you don't have to worry about the overpowered power creep for the previous games. But now they all these waves, they just add in <laughs> legendary. Yeah. So it's like kind of meaningless. Right. Like back when it was just 400 Pokemon, it was kind of nice to see different Pokemon excel in the competitive formats. And then they release more with the home connectivity and then they start allowing more Pokemon into the sets. And it's just like, OK, what's the point now? Like. Did- have they added every Pokemon from Sword and Shield? Like no, no. So there's there are there, quite a few. There's missing. no excuse for that though. Like those, <laughs> they can't even say like it's extra work or anything. But it is because they did retexture everything, and they've updated Again? models and idle animations between Sword and Shield. All right. Yes, all right. but yes. So it is a little bit more work. I mean, it's not like a complete overhaul, but they at least made them look a little more realistic. Which is a really nice feature for the game, but it also just further makes it a little bit more jarring visually for me because there are three competing art styles in the game. You have the art style that the Pokemon take on, you have the art style for the characters, and then you have the art style for the rest of the world that's just kind of this muddy, not very vibrant, fun background stuff. Yeah. I just love that they they can never add Shedinja into this game. (laughs) Because, you know, as soon as he gets added in, someone's going to get an electric version of the the crystallization and then give him a air balloon. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like, Shedin just showed up in Sword and Shield eventually. I think it was added in one of the DLCs. But, like, yeah, it's it's still missing. Shedin just flat out break this game. (laughs) Yeah. Make it completely immune to everything. (laughs) I hope Uh, you have, like... I don't know what you do at that point. Yeah. Now, to be fair for the DLC, like the character interaction was really quite nice. That's kind of where Scarlet and Violet excel, in my opinion. Like the characters are great. The story was pretty good for the DLC as well. It's just it's hard for me to get behind these games when they give me headaches because they can't even hold a stable 30 FPS. So do you think a Switch 2 would fix that or is it just I mean, beyond repair? (laughs) it's really funny because people that have emulated the game don't see any of the slowdowns so i really think that they just need a little bit more power and it'll be fine which is a shame because the game still looks awful (laughs) even emulated but maybe the next console it'll at least run better yeah if it's backwards compatible which i hope it is anyway that's kind of the bottom of the line i didn't mean to spend so long talking about scarlet and violet dlc but i had to get that off my chest yeah <laughs> i think i'm going to pass on this one i i passed yeah. on the dlc for sword and shield as well i didn't hate scarlet and violet i enjoyed it i <laughs> i was more, more forgiving of it than i feel like you were just because i'm glad that game freak stepped outside of their comfort zone and yeah. finally did something new whereas like sword and shield was just a complete mess and didn't even do anything new um so i like i was fine and like we it, it was a very bugged game but i don't know <laughs> i think people are a bit too uh i don't know they're, they're a bit too sensitive to bugs 
maybe maybe this is just me speaking because I came from like the 90s when like the average <laughs> game was pretty bugged. Hey, um, I like good buggy games. It's just this is the final Pokemon game on the Switch. And we've had like technical marvels on that console with like the Zelda games. Odyssey looks incredible. And you can tell that Nintendo Studios can do amazing things with this hardware. Yeah. And I don't mind a few bugs here and there, but when like the entire geometry or I guess all of the textures of the ground will just disappear because the game is like <laughs> overloading RAM, that's like, mm, I think they needed some more time. To so fix this here's game the up. thing. Sometimes a project is just foobard. Um, yeah, it's true. It sometimes it's just like a structural issue, a paradigm issue. Um, and no amount of dev time is really going to fix it. Um, would yeah. you rather have the game get canceled than released? Uh, I mean, I'd rather have it released because at yeah. least then I can keep playing. I, and get new Pokemon. I feel like these Pokemon games fall in that like poorly designed category where <laughs> just like it doesn't matter how long it's in the tank. It's just not going to get there. It's they're hey. just spaghetti code messes uh, designed <laughs> by people who don't really know how to design a like a game from a mechanical standpoint. Um, well, I know for a fact from the data miners that there are still references and functions in the decompilation of the code that haven't been used since black and white, like very yeah. specific mechanics that yeah. literally stuff, disappeared forever. Stuff ago. like that. It's just kind of like it's just layers and layers and layers of band-aids being applied to a broken system. Um, yeah. And if we were talking about Starfield, um, <laughs> it's kind of the same problem that Bethesda is going through right now. In fact, I think Bethesda and Pokemon are, <laughs> are more similar than people want to admit. Yeah, because like <laughs> both of them are understaffed teams that think that they're still in this indie game mindset that don't really innovate on their formulas very much and release really broken, like uninspired, like final products. Um, <laughs> the one difference is that Bethesda has longer like release cycles. Yeah, but I, I think Bethesda kind of just proves my point. Like, it's just <laughs> it doesn't matter how long Pokemon's in the tank. It's it's not going to like until they like rethink how they design these games. It's just not going to really work. Yeah, I agree with that. But we've got a whole bunch of other games to yeah. get through and we've been talking about Pokemon for a while. Well, so it, like Pokemon's kind of like know. a big tentpole release. Yeah, it absolutely um, is. It sold a lot and of games. And <laughs> I, I hear a lot of people like say like, oh, I don't want to support this game because it, it's bugged. And it's like, you know what? I'm not going to yuck your yum. Like, <laughs> You yeah. do you. But um, I hope you're ready to just not play Pokemon because it's just it's not don't know about a boycotting is going to fix anything. No, it's the biggest media franchise in the world. They're not going to be stopped. People are going to buy it. I know kids are still playing it. Like I was literally at a like kind of extended family party just the other day and two of the kids brought their switches and they both had Scarlet or Violet and they were playing them while we were there. Like, and it is for kids. And if it's like working for kids, then that's what matters. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm kind of just at the point where I'm just kind of writing off Pokemon. Like I just have no expectations for it anymore. Yeah. And I'm at that point now too. But I was just really cynical because I was really looking forward to it. So, yeah. Anyway, let's uh, let's move on to number nine uh, in our game list. And <laughs> we put number nine as Fire Emblem Engage, which 
it, it was a good game. Like, I think the maps were the best Fire Emblems had since the 3DS, which isn't saying much because it's been a while. <laughs> I mean, uh, I didn't like this game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the story is incredibly yeah. cheesy. Yeah. Um. Yeah, people who like it tend to like it for the level design, which you would think I would be in that camp. But, man, I just can't get over the character design. You can't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man yeah it feels bad because i'm usually the like gameplay over <laughs> like anything else guy yeah but my my biggest reasons for not liking this game is purely aesthetic <laughs> I, I do not yeah. like the aesthetics of this game i don't like the pandering to fans with uh bringing back characters from old games i kind of wish it was its own thing yeah. which is a story point oh no like oh man i'm, I'm being corrupted by jrpgs david <laughs> i mean they only really did that because heroes made them so much money yeah and the whole point of that game it was just gotcha feels like for every characters. game fire emblem does now is a callback to a previous fire emblem game yeah i i agree i mean it's like the new stuff's not allowed to have its own identity anymore well except for three houses three houses was its own yeah and three houses character designs were actually pretty good and i don't think they really pandered to like the super over the top anime style that engage has is that fair sure i mean i'm fine with anime it's just yeah yeah this one was (laughs) just bad (laughs) and I, i feel like nintendo knew that because apparently this game has been done for a while and nintendo was just kind of holding on to it and then didn't advertise it much and then threw it out in literally the worst month <laughs> for games. January. Yeah, January is historically known for just not being a good month for games. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Um, but hey, I mean, I think we have some hope for the series because there are rumors that one of the old games has a full remake that's almost done, if not already done and waiting for the next release cycle. Yeah. So, so more Fire Emblem this I'm year, hopeful. probably. Uh, do you think it's genealogy? That that's the rumor that I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait till they ruin genealogy and make it more like awakening than (laughs) genealogy was. They're going to make it. So spoiler alert, they're going to make it. So all the characters survive uh, in the past. (laughs) Yeah. I'm calling it. I'm calling it right now. Adjust the story so that you can have the cast. Yeah. So that you can date them all off and make it a dating. (laughs) I'm actually not looking forward to the remake. They're going to, they're going to, turn it is going to be genealogy and it's going to be turned into a dating sim hey i'm calling it i mean it's it's possible but i would say that the most recent remakes that nintendo's done have been very faithful to the original yeah and i'm hopeful that they're going to keep that so but anyway engage you know again i liked the i liked the maps i liked the mechanics but yeah this story was really unappealing (laughs) i just and i did not like (laughs) also like bringing so the old characters from previous games, the rings or whatever, they were way too overpowered. Oh, yeah. They were broken. It did not feel well balanced, but that's just me. <laughs> nope. Oh, well. We did a whole review on Fire Emblem Engage. Oh, well, at least up to like the halfway point where I think you stopped playing. <laughs> and I only played for like another few hours after that anyway. So whatever. Go go listen to our, our thoughts on Fire Emblem Engage. Yeah. But uh. You know, we kind of mentioned those remakes and uh, number eight on our list here is Super Mario RPG. I I guess the HD version. I don't think they gave it a remake title. I don't remember. I haven't looked at the 
title screen enough to memorize that. But this one was incredibly faithful to the original. And even though I would have preferred they kept the sprites instead of doing the 3D models, the 3D models work incredibly well and the environments look amazing. And the story is exactly the same. There's not really anything new, but it was really cool to see kind of this cult classic, this wonderful SNES game get a complete remake. I didn't rate it much higher than this personally because it still has a lot of the SNES jank that comes from being an SNES RPG. Um, They've streamlined a lot of stuff, mind you, and it's a lot better. And I really like the music uh, that they have kind of an orchestrated version for it. And it's a really great game and a really great play. And I highly recommend it if you like any sort of RPG. So not for you, Jordan. (laughs) Yeah, I, I skipped out on this. Surprise, surprise. Um, but I do appreciate that it's here. I, I know Super Mario RPG fans have been climbing for this for a while, and it was like kind of a, a small miracle um, yeah. release. By and it reignites the Geno for Smash Bros. flame. Yeah. <laughs> Which, Which I'd love to see that. I'm personally not a Geno fan, but I, I listen, I got banjo. I can't. <laughs> I can't yuck other people's yums. <laughs> yeah, you, you got your got mine. <laughs> deep cut pick. <laughs> like Other people deserve theirs. So, so I'd be fine with yeah. Gino coming in. Yeah. So anyway, really great game. Highly recommend it if you're at all interested. But it is not as good as the Paper Marios, in my opinion, from a story standpoint. But it's still really great. So. What I really liked is they added uh, animated cutscenes. So like a lot of the story is actually told through much more visual stuff, which is a really great choice. And Square did a great job with it. So that's kind of all I'll really say about that. But uh, moving on here to number seven is another set of remakes. Not really. They're They're re-releases. Yeah, these are (laughs) re-releases. These ones are the kind of the questionable ones to be on the list. But um... (laughs) But, hey, it was a shadow drop and it made me incredibly happy (laughs) because I love Pikmin so much. This is Pikmin 1 and 2 at number seven. Yeah, and it's a good compilation release. Um, Were these ever released physical? I don't know. But they they shadow dropped them on the eShop uh, right before Pikmin 4 came out. Um, and just having HD Pikmin is fun. This is the first time we've gotten them in HD. Uh, Pikmin 2 is my favorite Pikmin. Pikmin 1 is my second favorite Pikmin. Yeah. Um, and I honestly, same here. I, I love them. I ended up playing through both of these games twice. Yeah, this, I this played year. through the first one twice and I played through the second one this year. I only really 100 percent them both once, though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's totally fair. Um, Yes, they released one and two as a physical release. Okay. So you can grab that if you want for your physical copies, because that's what we like to have. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's it's fun. Uh, did they have motion controls? I, I didn't play they, with them. They did, but the motion controls weren't nearly as good as they were on the Wii. Um, all they really did is when you held down to throw a Pikmin, you could then move around the Joy-Con to like fine tune adjust the pointer. Back on the Wii version, you had full control of the pointer the entire time. So it, that was kind of a, a change for me. Uh, you don't really need the motion controls in one and two, but I really liked that on the Wii version. So if you like having a little bit more control over that, I would say Pikmin 1 and 2 on the Wii are better in that regard. But Pikmin 1 and 2 on the Switch are very true to the GameCube releases, for sure. Yeah. 
The one change I didn't really like is they changed how you um, can control the Pikmin with the second joystick. Oh, um, yeah. Because they tied the camera <laughs> to it to make camera movement easier. Um, yeah. Which I could see why they would make that decision. But it, it, it did make some combat weird because like the, the option to use that joystick is still there, but you have to hold one of the L triggers. I don't remember which one while doing it. Which is yeah. fine. It just slows down combat a little bit to make yeah. it easier to control the camera. I wish that they had changed it so that you could control the Pikmin with the stick at any time. But then if you held down a trigger, you could move the camera. Yeah, I, that's how I would have preferred it. But oh, well. But anyway, really great games. They're really good to have. And each one is like, what, $30, I think, per download. So if you've never played Pikmin before, I think one is actually a really great point to start with. Yes. Especially on Switch, because like there are hardly any super ridiculous mechanics and the levels are really well designed for you to get things done. Pikmin 2 is my favorite game. It is the worst one to start with. <laughs> oh, definitely. Good luck doing Submerged Castle if Pikmin 2 is your first game. Honestly, go play Pikmin 3 before Pikmin 2. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think Pikmin 3 teaches you a lot more about like Pikmin weaknesses and resistances better than any of the other games. Honestly, games. of the four games, I think Pikmin 3 is the best one to start with. Yeah, I can agree with that. It's nice and short, and the stakes aren't that high if you, like, die. I mean, Pikmin 2, you can last forever. But the difficulty is in the subterranean levels, which are just brutal Mm -hmm. for newcomers. So, uh, yeah, I'd say Pikmin 3 is definitely the best one to start with. 4 is also up there, maybe. Pikmin 4 is pretty different from the rest of the series. We'll get on to that. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, it's definitely higher on this list, obviously. Uh, yeah. Normally. So like me. the reason why I <laughs> I would say Pikmin 1 and 2 are this low on the list is just because this was a release. It's not a remaster or a remake. Um, It's just like an HDified re-release of the game. So. <laughs> Which the HDification that they did was like the games are essentially just emulated Wii games and they just remap textures on top with Lua scripts. So. Yeah, it really makes me question why there aren't more GameCube games. <laughs> on your I know, right? How easy it was for them to do this. Like, I think the best candidates kind of going back to Fire Emblem are literally the GameCube and Wii Fire Emblem games. Yeah. Like, I don't know why those aren't done. And F-Zero. Yeah, and F-Zero. So sure, more niche games. Maybe that's a Switch 2 thing. They were testing the waters with Metroid and Pikmin with the two very different ways of doing these remasters. I think Nintendo's just holding on to them for like filler content (laughs) where there's a gap in their release schedule. They'll just trickle (laughs) these out one by one and the really obscure niche ones are just never going to see light of day. Instead of making it a for free thing since they've already made their profits on the games, but whatever. It's all good. Uh, But yeah. Pikmin 1 and 2 at number 7. Moving on to number 8, we have WarioWare Move It. Well, the number most 6. recent game. Oh, sorry, number 6. <laughs> I misread yes, that. I adore this WarioWare. I haven't played oh, so it good. as much as I wanted to. Um, Same, actually. But what I have played has put a stupid grin on my face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, it takes me back to the early years of the Wii. Because we had another Wario game that was just as delightful <laughs> yeah. on the Wii. Yeah. I, I mean, Smooth Moves was my favorite WarioWare. Uh, I yeah. need to play this one more, but I wouldn't be surprised if this ends up being my favorite. 
Um, I have played mostly at this as a party game, which is its intended purpose um, with the mm-hmm. multiplayer modes. Yeah. And, and they're just the multiplayer just modes are good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I really like the Medusa one. <laughs> we oh, were playing yeah. Red light, green light. Um, and you have to play <laughs> these mini games. And then like when the red light comes on, you have to stop playing the mini game, which is. <laughs> yeah. So you're paying attention to two things at once. It's nuts. <laughs> Yeah. And then, of course, you have all the, the crazy poses returned from smooth moves um, with different names. But like and- in a better way, because they're actually using the better motion sensitivity in the Joy-Cons. Yes. So it's actually recommended that you stand up and do the motions instead of just holding your Wii remote yeah. in different ways. It's great. There are a few games where you can cheese it by <laughs> not doing the motions uh, in your yeah. friend group. Just make sure that people don't do that. You, you, ha- you have to follow the rules. Yeah. That's follow so the rules. It's a great game when you follow the rules. Um, and I mean, volt. if one person is going to cheat, you should all cheat. Yeah. But five volt games are still the best ones. <laughs> I, oh, I yeah. Laughed, I laughed my butt off uh, on the cuckoo one where you have to you're, you, <laughs> you're a cuckoo running away from Link <laughs> and he's trying to throw you in a pen. <laughs> uh, they even have a shine sparking one with for Metroid. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's it's just so good. Like well, the the team behind WarioWare is one of my favorites for the ridiculousness because they also do the Rhythm Heaven games. You know, the art style is very similar between the two games and they're just so like WarioWare isn't that niche, but it's niche enough that I don't think enough people get it. And Rhythm Heaven is also very niche. And yeah. I just absolutely love these games. They pour a ton of heart and soul into them, make them hilarious and wacky and just incredibly fun to play. And this new WarioWare is like absolutely worth it. Yes. If you're looking for a new party game, you should totally get it. Yeah, this game is so fun. <laughs> uh, I I was really kind to the previous WarioWare just because I was happy to get any WarioWare at all. Um, this, is, <laughs> this is the definitive WarioWare for the Switch, though. Like, yeah. It, oh, it, absolutely. It blows the other one out of the water. Yeah, I just wish it had come out a little bit sooner, you know, like last year or the year before. But yeah. it's still great timing, you know. And I'm happy to get a game from. I mean, this one kind of had to come out after the pandemic because it is party focused, right? Yeah, that's (laughs) true. (laughs) So maybe the timing's a bit better right now than a couple of years ago. But if we didn't have the pandemic, I would have liked this to have been a somewhat earlier game on the Switch. Um, Maybe replace ARMS in the lineup with this game if they could pull it off at like the same level, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because I just feel like it would have been more fun they, they were trying to push that one two yeah. switch <laughs> hey as the premier party game <laughs> that's why it could come out last uh, year they had everybody wait was that last year or this year everybody won two switch the sequel uh i think everybody won two switch was this year as a shadow drop oh no <laughs> well that was another game nintendo sent out today yeah that was june 30th 2023 <laughs> It just happened. It just came out. I think I remember it just being a Twitter announcer. They're like, uh, you can download another game from us, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, I mean, if Nintendo made it, I'd rather have it be released than, <laughs> than not. But yeah, it's like the jump rope game they made during the pandemic. That was just a fun little dev experiment. So yeah, it was one, two switch was more. But anyway, yeah, WarioWare, absolutely phenomenal. Definitely deserves to be on the top 10 list, even if there were more than 10 games this year. <laughs> <laughs> so i had uh, rated higher than uh david did um 
Well, and that's mostly because I forgot to put it on my list. <laughs> so we put it at the top of our A list. Um, yeah. So we're, we're about to enter the S tiers. Although there yeah, is so one, one more A list. Yeah. yeah, one more A list game I wanted to talk about, um, which was Wild Frost. And this game was a game I was absolutely obsessed with at the beginning of the year. It's another roguelike uh, card battler, sort of similar to like Slay the Spire, Inscription, those kind of games. Um, but unlike Slay the Spire, the main gimmick is that you can modify cards and like your character units. Um, and those modifications are permanent and you can cook up some like crazy, crazy builds. Um, and the game's just like, yeah, sure. If you if you want to break the game, like go, <laughs> go straight ahead. It's one of those games that definitely rewards creativity. Um, and I it, it's it's a roguelike that I ended up 100 percenting. I got literally everything. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, it's 15 percent off on Steam right now. I might just grab it. Yeah, I, I highly recommend it. As far as card battlers go, I think this is the easiest one to get into as well. OK. Um, and if you're new to listening to our podcast, uh, deck building games are pretty much Jordan's most favorite genre <laughs> ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's why I you w- play Magic the Gathering so yeah. much. I wouldn't say this is better than Inscription or Slay the Spire. I still think those two are my favorite ca- card battlers. But this one still has like a u- unique feel to it that it's definitely my third favorite of the card battler genre. So, yeah. They just cool. added a big update, so I'm probably going to end up playing it again some more once I'm done with Zelda. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. <sighs> I, I want to give it a shot. That's for sure. It looks so pretty, too. The visuals are awesome. Yeah. Yeah. This was also a game. So, like, I, I found out about it at PAX East. Um, oh, yeah. I remember you talking about it when you went yeah and i so i played it and then like oh it comes out next week by the way it's like what (laughs) so yeah so you got to play like a very finished build yeah yeah that's awesome cool yeah i i might just grab that on steam because i don't pull out my switch as often as i used to (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, i ended up playing it on steam Uh, i assume it runs pretty well on switch (laughs) but it was technically a switch game so i'm allowed to put it on here yes you are you are so Cool. Well, that was number five, Wild Frost. Now, moving into number four, this is kind of like the perfect position for this game. It's Pikmin 4, <laughs> which Jordan had put on his D tier list. <laughs> this one definitely benefited from the higher higher rank <laughs> rule. Yeah. And I mean, it's kind of at the bottom of the S tier and I could be convinced to lower it a little bit, but we tried to like not influence each other at all when we made this list, the, these listings. Um, I put it really high up because I hundred percented it and I actually really had a fun time doing it. It wasn't grindy to hundred percent at all. Uh, and what I really enjoyed about it were that the Dandori challenges were completely baked in to the game itself. And those were my most favorite things about Pikmin three where the really small areas that were isolated, where you had to really manage your time in Pikmin well. Uh, I ended up platinuming every single Dandori challenge, except for maybe two or three of the final challenges, just because I kind of stopped playing. I got interested in other things. Um, I, I really liked Pikmin 4, but 
please understand that I agree with everything Jordan's going to say now about why the game wasn't that great. <laughs> I don't know if you'll agree with everything, but my biggest issue is I feel like the dog kind of ruined things entirely for the game. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it shifted yeah. the paradigm. It shifted the level design. It just uh, it took away a lot of the main things that I enjoy about Pikmin. Um, so like, for example, I feel like the level design in Pikmin four is the weakest of all Pikmin games, um, largely because they made it. So you have two captains, the dog and your main captain, and both of them have different sets of like advantages and disadvantages, right? Which makes exactly, which makes a first playthrough where you want to like split the captains an absolute nightmare because you'll just constantly hit roadblocks where it's like, Oh, I just have the wrong captain with me and have to like <laughs> backtrack to like yeah. reposition. And it just, it, <sighs> Oh, the dog can't climb up this wall or go through these grades. Yeah. Oh, darn it. The captain can't go up here cause you have to jump to get up here. Yeah. Yeah. So it, you just constantly have these roadblocks, which are <laughs> which are magnified with the second issue is that they made these maps enormous. These are the <laughs> largest maps out of any Pikmin game, but they didn't yeah. like really increase the density at all. Like these are the least dense levels as well. So they're the largest yep. maps. They're the maps that require the most backtracking and they have the least density of items and enemies. And to kind of add to that, when the enemies die, they are gone for good. They yeah. never, ever, ever respawn. So you are so, walking through like massive swaths of just nothing in this game. Yeah. It feels like it was designed with the idea that you were only ever going to go through a chunk of the area once and that's it. Well, and you'll yeah. never go back and set foot in there again, even if you're trying to traverse between places. Yeah. It feels They've like got the whole ability to change your spawn location or where I guess where your home base is. Mm -hmm. And that's supposed to like help you focus on individual areas of the map at a time. And I think that's what they were going for. And yeah, that's kind of the weakest part about the entire game. And I'd be okay with it if they all, if like, I'm fine with the maps being enormous, right? Yeah. So yeah. long as they increase the density right? Um, or even just kept it at the same density and didn't yeah. make it. So enemies were permanent dead between uh, days. Um, yeah. And, and on top of that, it also feels like they intended for you to never be split up from your dog companion in the overworld and splitting up with your dog companion was just for the Dandori challenges. Yeah. But if you're at all any, if you have any sort of skill with the multitasking in Pikmin, which if you've played two and three, you should be. <laughs> yeah. If you've done any of that, you want to keep them as separate as possible for as long as possible. Because that's just how you play Pikmin once you've learned how multitasking and dividing and conquering works. Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, I like the Dendori challenges. Um, I don't like the caves in this game. Just I don't really either. <laughs> I, I think the caves in Pikmin 2 are just better. The thing is, with Pikmin 2, there's like this sense of danger in caves with Pikmin 2 that is just completely lost in pikmin 4 and some people are like really happy with the caves in this game because they took away the random element of pikmin 2 but i think that random element added to like the unknown of pikmin 2 um yeah honestly i think pikmin 2's problems with the caves wasn't that 
they were random. It's just that they weren't random enough. Um, they were kind yeah. of still a bit static, <laughs> but maybe that's just me. Some people really don't like caves and Pikmin too. So it's, it's hard to like really justify that. Um, yeah. And most, what I think a lot of the problems were that people had with the Pikmin two caves were mm, you were completely frozen in time, right? Like yeah. nothing changed in the overworld. And Pikmin four was like, well, when you're in the caves, time moves like four times slower or whatever it was. And I'm like, okay. But you still didn't have to leave when the day was up. <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know the caves the advantage in like freezing time though is that they made the caves so much larger and deadlier (laughs) like exactly the caves are so boring in pikmin 4 and on top of that they don't always capstone with a boss at the end like they did in pikmin 2 yeah which was really frustrating like the best caves i think in pikmin 4 uh one of them was like a remake of one of the Pikmin 2 caves, which was really cool. Like it ended with Bullblack's Kings and had the exact same water and fire puzzle with the last treasure there, which was really cool to see them like remake that. And then also the kind of like reimagining of like the submerged castle from Pikmin 2. Those were the best ones, even though submerged castle is still the better <laughs> cave between it and its remake or its reimagining. Um, but no, I, I totally agree with you. I, the caves were for a lack of a better term, I guess, boring in comparison to two. Yeah. I think they had some really cool design ideas in them, but I still think it came down to the density and the puzzle solving where the caves didn't have enough of a challenge and they didn't have enough of a puzzle element to them like the Dandori challenges did. But then you could say the Dandori challenges were all about the puzzles and like managing your time and stuff. I don't know. It, it's tricky because I feel like Pikmin 4 tried to do too many different things. Yeah. And they didn't really nail any individual part. I think they nailed the Dandori challenges. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I will agree with that. The Dandori challenges, if you only look at the challenges. Right. Yeah. Like, and to be honest, they kind of nailed the challenge mode in Pikmin 3 as well. It's just people are less familiar with that as they are with Pikmin 4 because it wasn't part of the main campaign. So Right, and I would honestly say that the challenge modes in Pikmin 3 are some of the best designed Pikmin things ever made. Yeah. Like, they are some of my favorite things to go back to. Yeah. So, but, like, moving them to the main campaign, I think, was a good design choice. I agree Uh, with that, for sure. Even though, yeah, I do think the challenge modes in Pikmin 3 are also still better. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I still I don't, haven't platinumed the Christmas one in Pikmin 3, okay? <laughs> I don't know what, like, the main focus of Pikmin 4 is. If it, Like you said, it was, it was trying to do too many different things. It felt kind of directionless at times. Um, but there are things I do enjoy. I like the Adendori battles. I really like the night mode. Night mode missions are a lot of fun. Um, yeah, those are great. And I really liked Olimar's story. Yeah. I don't know if you ever got to that. I did not, but I've heard stuff about it. And like, I like the idea of what I've heard, um, but I'll yeah, get to it. I won't spoil it if you are going to get to it eventually. But um, that was a highlight of the game for me. Just so people know how far like I got, I got halfway through the fifth map and 100% of the first four. Um, I really like the gimmicks of maps three and four. Maps one and two kind of blend together as like the same map in my mind because they're not that <laughs> different from each other. Um, yeah. But the gimmicks were really, really good in, in maps three and four. And I like the verticality that they added to some maps. Um, 
that was definitely something the Pikmin games really needed. Yes. Um, and they did a good job with it. Even if it was just like more ramps going yeah. up into higher areas. Yeah. Because Pikmin 2 didn't really have like any of that. Pikmin 3 had a little bit. But yeah, Pikmin 4 really kind of made the maps much more Z-dimensional. <laughs> yeah. At least in some ways. But um, Yeah, so I, I don't know. Pikmin 4 is still the only game I haven't finished in the series. Uh, I think I rank it below Pikmin 3 for me. Okay. Pikmin 3, I think, has better level design, better challenge maps, and better bosses. Um, yeah. And I think they're comparable to each other in difficulty. Pikmin 3 was just too short. Yeah, it was short. That was his biggest issue. Well, it had two more maps in the data that just were com- uncomplete. So they had to cull back on that game. So um, I don't know how I'd rate them. I'm I'm inclined to put Pikmin 4 below 3, but I would put it really close to 3. Because the Dandori challenges were really fun. And I enjoyed the game quite a bit. Yeah, but Pikmin three is honestly like more replayable for me because it is so good at multitasking because you have three captains. Yeah, um, I'm definitely in the minority with my opinions on Pikmin four. Uh, the the Pikmin community yeah. are definitely very positive for this game. I think I'm the only person that does not like this game <laughs> at this point. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> or at least the only person that's vocal about not liking this game. Um, Makes sense. I've gotten in a lot of heated discussions throughout the year uh so maybe maybe when i like cool down a bit i'll enjoy this game more but <laughs> after being angry at the discussions that yeah. happened yeah cool well anyway that was number four with pikmin four uh at number three we have mario wonder which i only ranked high enough because it was such a breath of fresh air for 2d mario <laughs> yeah i mean i i, I love mario wonder um I think at this point, it is my third favorite 2D game, 2D Mario game. So Mario Bros. 3, then uh, Super, mm-hmm. and then this one. Okay. Yep. Yeah, that, I would rate it that, that that's my listing as well. Yeah. It's good. It's a really good game. <laughs> it really is. It has so many fresh ideas, too. Um, just very creative. We, we yeah. definitely gushed about it in a previous episode for at length (laughs) but yeah and it wasn't too long ago so go listen to that (laughs) um but i mean the art style is wonderful i honestly kind of like the new mario voice actor i will forever miss charles martinet and i don't think anyone can truly replace him but he did a great job yeah really hopeful for mario maker to take inspiration from this game if they're gonna actually make another one (laughs) because two just like never got updated (laughs) after one big update uh we talked about that on our previous episode as well how a lot of the mechanics felt like okay we're gonna put these in mario maker so you can just do whatever you want with them um but anyway fantastic game excellent 2d platformer with mario and just really glad to see 2d mario have a complete new coat of paint and a fresh spin on it Mm -hmm. yeah i i really enjoyed mario wonder um on a normal year with nintendo i think it would have been game of the year uh but there are clearly two games ahead of it (laughs) on our list (laughs) yeah which uh i don't know if uh our listeners are going to appreciate (laughs) 
the, the uh, choice. decision we had to make. <laughs> now, now I do want to preface this by saying, okay, listen, the very first episode of the podcast we recorded was about Metroid Dread, okay? So, in my heart of hearts, <laughs> Nintendo Fusion is more of a Metroid podcast than anything else. All right. Well, I guess we'll rip the Band-Aid off. Uh, Tears of yeah. the Kingdom is number two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, we talked about this a little bit last week at the end of the episode or last episode. It's an excellent game. It is a 10 out of 10. It is wonderful. It is so much fun to play. It has really great systems and mechanics, but it just falls short in a lot of different areas. And I would say a lot of that goes back to a couple of main points. One of them being we're still in Hyrule from Breath of the Wild. So a lot of that sense of exploration for me, and I I think it's the same for you, Jordan, was just like, oh, yeah, I remember this place. I don't really need to look around here too much. (laughs) And on top of that, the islands weren't nearly as fleshed out as they could have been, especially considering the marketing that we got. It looked like the islands were a huge focus. And the depths were relatively empty. Um, That's one of the big things. And then the second thing that I would complain about is for those of us that like to 100% these games or at least get as much as possible, there are too many different things to 100% with not enough reward to entice you to do it. And I got really burnt out going after all of the Koroks and the caves. So that's kind of why I rank it a little bit lower. But I'd like to hear your thoughts, Jordan. Um, so I kind of talked about this in the last episode, um, and like, I still haven't finished this game. Um, I am working through it. (laughs) I am 150 hours into it. It's not like I'm not playing the game. It's just like, I'm, 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 I'm playing the whole thing, right? I'm not just going to rush to the end. Um, I did say in the last episode that I would start playing it again and I have stuck to that. I have been playing it. Um, I'm so proud of you. I ended up finishing the Gerudo quest. And I've been getting close to getting all of the shrines and shrine routes right now. Okay. That's what I'm working through. And also doing a bunch of side quests. Because I know once I like beat the game, I'm going to have no motivation to do anything else. <laughs> yeah. So I am kind of just like going through the rest of it, which just means that it's going to take some time. Um, I so don't. So you're going to get our full review in May, probably. <laughs> The, a the year, year anniversary. <laughs> My biggest issue with the game is, like I said in the last episode, um, my main pillars of Zelda were always like you get cool items that have like an effect on um, that have like like a multi-purpose effect that can be both used in combat and also used for traversing the world and solving mm-hmm. puzzles. You uh, have dungeons that like are really cool thematically and also are puzzly and in nature and have kind of like this dungeon does good level design to them. Right. With like sprawling areas that have different doors and locks and keys that have various types of switches in them. With bosses and mini bosses and unique enemies, unique themes that are unique to that dungeon and not to the rest of the game to like break. Yeah. Kind of like break the flow. Of the game, which speaking of dungeons, go listen to our top dungeons episode. Yeah, that was really fun. And then the third pillar is a sense of adventure um, because these are adventure games and Breath of the Wild kind of got rid of the first two pillars, but maximized heavily on the third pillar. So it was still just a phenomenal game. 
this game did not fix the previous two pillars and then threw away the third pillar. And <laughs> it's still like a phenomenal game. It's a 10 out of 10 game. We have it ranked number two, right? Like, yeah, I still, absolutely. I still enjoy it, but it doesn't have that like spark of joy. I feel from a Zelda game. Like it's a, it, it almost feels like it's own experience despite being so similar to breath of the wild. And it's, the other issue I have with it is because <laughs> because of all this, it's kind of knocked down my ranking of Breath of the Wild because now I'm seeing a lot more issues with the design of these open air games that I was more willing to like look past because they were doing something new. And it's like, well, they were trying something new. It just didn't work. But in the next game, they'll like polish us out. Now we're on the next game. They didn't polish us out. Oh, this is what they really intended the game to be. Right. Um, And I I think I'm ready for them to kind of be done with these open air games, honestly. (laughs) Yeah, I'm ready for something new. I'm not saying like return back to the old Zelda formula. Uh, Clearly, Onuma doesn't want to. Um, I'm just saying one of the reasons why Breath of the Wild was so beloved was because they kind of like took a step back and rethought how, how a Zelda should be. And it worked. And I think they need to do that again because I think they've very thoroughly explored the design space that these games have to offer. Yeah, a hundred percent. And like, I will never forget how amazed and incredible it felt to play through Breath of the Wild. Yeah, like that game still amazes me. It brings me wonder. I will never forget the E three before it came out. Just hoping and praying that it would come out soon enough so that I could finally get my hands on it. Like I was away from home during the E3 that it was actually announced. And ever since that day, I was so excited to play it. This was like 2014 and breath of the wild was my most anticipated game ever. And I will never forget that. And I love the game to pieces and tears of the kingdom was really good and really phenomenal, but I just, it could not match that sense of wonder and excitement. Yeah. And t- well, to be honest, like what, what it could have done yeah. is just have a new map, go to a new place. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, so there, there's things I really love about tears of the kingdom. I really love caves. They give me that, like they, they're not like completely gratifying with that itch that dungeons give, but it, it at least gives me a taste of that feel. Well, right. And it brings back a lot of the older Zelda stuff because Ocarina of time had hidden caves and Twilight yeah. Princess had caves. Um, Wind Waker even had like little caves you could go into on various islands. Like the caves have been a staple of Zelda forever. And so it was great to see those really come back and be small little places that you could explore and get stuff in. Yeah. Like caves are uh, they, 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 they nailed the caves out of the park. Like, Absolutely. I think yeah. I think that is, um, the crafting mechanics are phenomenal. I am mm-hmm. still blown away with like the amount of freedom that they've given you with crafting. Um, by crafting, yeah. I mean like combining items and stuff, uh, both for like your swords, but also just like making weird contraptions to solve puzzles. Yeah. And I've heard well, some people the physics say physics like, engine is incredible. Yeah, yeah, the, the <laughs> physics engine is insane. And I've heard some people, oh, well, like the whole game's just about like trying to figure out how to cheese puzzles. It's like I, I disagree. I I feel like those cheeses are kind of like valid answers and that the designers are perfectly okay with it like they do not care if you break the puzzles and i enjoy it when like 
like I was talking with Wild Frost earlier, I, I I enjoy it when the designers are like, yeah, go ahead, have the freedom to break things. You can do things the way we like intended, but that's not the only way to play the game. Right. If they really wanted you to only do it one way, they would have put up walls and all sorts of things to completely block you from not doing that solution. Yeah. Um, I also like the the reverse time thing like that, that one has, leads to some really fun puzzles um, and solutions. Yeah. Um, and I do enjoy the underground. A lot of people kind of complain about it because it is kind of barren and it is. Um, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I just enjoy getting lost and that is the only yeah. area in the game where I'm allowed to get lost. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree with you on that point. I love the depths. Like it was so fun exploring those, especially for the first time. Like it was someplace completely different and new and it just opened up the theory part of my brain. Like what is actually going on down here? Is this the dark world or a dark world? Is this really just some massive subterranean cave? Did someone make this? You know, like there are all sorts of really interesting things to think about and it's fun to get lost down there and it's dark. And I honestly really like it when games like Zelda that are not horror games at all have a little element of suspense and terror with the darkness. And it just worked really well for this game. Yeah, I I think the underground is a a good part of the game. Um, there are some Absolutely. people who don't like it. I think those criticisms are completely valid because I feel like the depths are kind of a acquired taste in a way. Yeah. Um, but it's an acquired taste that I, I have and I, I, I do really enjoy it. Um, I, I like the depths more than the sky islands because the sky islands are just too sparse. Yeah. If the depths had more puzzles like the sky islands have, I'd probably enjoy the depths even more. Mm-hmm. But I definitely prefer the depths over the Sky Islands for sure. Yeah. Because the Sky Islands, they just make me sad because you get up there and you're just like, why is there just one tiny rock in this archipelago? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I feel like they needed to have, you know what? They needed 10 times as many Sky Islands. They needed to have a way where you could have just spent like the whole game just exploring up in the air. But the way it's designed is you have to go back to the surface and then reposition yourself, then go back to the sky. And getting to the sky is not really that fun. Um, <laughs> the act of getting to the sky, like they, they put a lot of limits on the contraptions you make on how far they can go up, I guess. I don't know. Um, usually it just involves you just going to one of the towers, launching yourself and gliding to an island. And it's not that well thought out. I feel like I feel like they could have put in a lot more effort in the act of getting to these sky islands, which should have been kind of like a challenge in, the, in of themselves. Or they could have added a point to the game where you tame loft wings. Some sort of mount. Yeah. Yeah. Like you have a horse for the mainland. You have skeleton horses for the depths if you really want. And up in the sky, it's like, hey, you can build a flying contraption that can't really go that far unless you have a ton of energy. <laughs> and Eventually you, don't you just use the capture gliders. the light dragon. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> that would have been cool. But I mean, they could have just brought back loft wings. They're yeah, established wings. things, but the loft wings probably all died out anyway. I think another thing yeah. that kind of bothers me about the Sky Islands, I wish there was multiple layers of Sky Islands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where they were more higher up and some beneath them. Exactly. Rather than just like, oh, we can only really have three Z layers or something. Like. <laughs> I clearly enjoy verticality to my adventure games. I, I keep bringing it up all the time. Um, 
I find it absurd <laughs> that for Tears of the Kingdom does not feel like it has that much verticality to it. Um, it feels like three planes that you can like sometimes go between the, the three planes, <laughs> three flat planes that you can go between them. Either you fall down a hole or you get launched up a tower. <laughs> yeah. And then you, all, all you're doing is just traversing to the plane and you're doing so in like a straight line. Um, yeah. Ah, it makes me disappointed of what it could have been. Um, well, if you look at the map, I think the map is very indicative of why the islands are designed the way they were, because there is no real Z dimension to the map. You get three layers and that's it. Yep. Yeah, so, it, it very clearly looks like it was stapled on to Breath of the Wild. Yeah. And huh. anyway, we don't have to keep kind of talking about Breath of the Wild <laughs> or Tears of the Kingdom. Yeah. Well, I, like, I want I to say I, I love the game. I like the yeah, game. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> I just, uh, I don't know. It, it didn't match what I was hoping for. It wasn't the experience yeah. I wanted. And as much as I love the physics engine and all of the crafting stuff, which is amazing and the best part of the game. I wish that they really hadn't done that and had focused on the adventure. Yeah. More. I just needed a new map. I just needed a new map. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Because you and I were the types of people that explored like every inch of Breath of the Wild. Yeah. Yeah. No, I. <laughs> so here, here's the thing um, with where I'm at right now. Obviously, maybe the things will change when I beat the game. But even though I understand that mechanically Tears of the Kingdom is a better game than Breath of the Wild. I think the experience of Breath of the Wild is better than Tears of the Kingdom. And I actually have Breath of the Wild higher up on my list of Zelda games than Tears of the Kingdom. Yeah. And for me, the reason why I would do the exact same thing is because Breath of the Wild actually has more limitations. Yeah, I think the limitations are good. Um, it, the game still allows you to break things however you want. But within that limitations, your breathes uh, creativity. Yes, I agree. Like learning how to wind bomb if you really want to go fast <laughs> and all of the other crazy glitches that are in the game and like figuring out how to best fight enemies rather than just yeah. oh i'm gonna build a laser contraption or <laughs> fuse this to my sword or something like which is really fun and still super cool to do but i don't know i it, also really I'm love so guardians conflicted. and it makes me sad that we don't have kind of like a replacement for guardians yeah there's nothing to fill the role of what they had I, there, there's more boss enemies, which I love. I love the the hands. I love the the dragons, um, all the extra bosses. They even let let you fight bosses from the dungeons in the the depths, which is really cool. Yeah, yeah, no, it's great. Um, but those kind of fall fulfill a different role than what the guardians were. The guardians weren't bosses. The guardians were just like enemies to just kind of like have a sharp increase of difficulty in very specific areas and yeah it was sometimes more about just avoiding them than actually fighting them everything in tears of the kingdom there there's no point in the game where you're trying to like avoid things you can always just overpower everything mm -hmm. i agree and a good number of enemies are like honestly kind of the same if yeah. you fight a horriblin uh not in a cave or after you knock it to the ground it's like exactly the same as fighting a moblin you know yeah also, a lot of the enemies they added are just they're really easy. It takes one shot to kill the Ericudas or whatever they're called. Yeah, um, I don't know And, why. like, if you put an eyeball on your arrow, it just it insta-hits and kills them. <laughs> and they always drop another eyeball. So it's just, just like, there's no point in fighting them. <laughs> they're meaningless. 
yeah, I never, after a certain point, I just ignored them. So anyway, I like, like likes, like likes are cool. I like, like yeah, no, like they're, likes. they're cool. I, I like how they drop treasure chests when you kill them. Yeah. That's I just wish they weren't always shields. I get thing. the reference. They used yeah. to eat your shields. Um, yep. <laughs> but this game has made me realize I hate treasure chests with swords and shields and bows in them. Um, just give yeah, me, <laughs> give me rare drop so items for things I'm grinding for. Right, which is why it was really fun to not ever update the game so that I could just use the duplication glitches because some of the rare items, because there are so many enemies, are so hard to get now. Yeah. It's not like Breath of the Wild where like you could just find a pack of enemies and you'd get what you needed. It's like it's so much harder to find all of the materials you need to upgrade everything. I so. have a stack of like 70 Gibdo items that I'm terrified to ever use because there's no dungeon anymore to go like farm those Gibdos anymore. And I'm like, what if I yeah. need these for an armor set later on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. Huh. Lots of good things to talk about with Tears of the yeah. Kingdom. I will also other say, things that we don't like. Yeah, uh, Gibdos are my favorite addition to Zelda. Um, if you know anything about <laughs> me, I love bugs, and I was not expecting what they were going to do to Gibdos. Holy yeah, crap! Yeah, turn them into <laughs> bugs and moths. It's great. <laughs> Gibdos. Yeah, that that gave me a, a stupid grin on my face. I was so happy with Gibdos. Yeah. That the the Gerudo dungeon felt like it was like designed specifically for me. Like they came and like picked my brain and then just made a dungeon <laughs> just for me. Like I I was I was talking down on dungeons last episode because I'd only played the Zora and the Rita one. I still I I now think that the Zora dungeon is the worst dungeon made in Zelda. Period. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> um, Rito is fine, I guess. It's barely better than the Divine Beasts, but the Gerudo dungeon of these open air dungeons is by far the best. Um, in terms of Zelda as a whole, it's like a seven out of ten. But <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with that for sure. But it, it that one was actually really fun. I really enjoyed that dungeon. Yeah, same here. Well, I'm looking forward to when you finally finish the game so that we can do <laughs> our full review episode a year after the game yeah, came out. Yeah, it's long. Sorry, I am not going to rush it. Um, no, don't. Don't. It's totally fine. We've talked about it enough off the podcast as well. And we had a good impressions episode and we just bring it up every so often. And it's fun to talk about. Yeah, but we'll, we'll do a full one that's just about Zelda eventually, you know. We might have a slow year this year from Nintendo, so we'll see. <laughs> All right. It so just talking about our number one game, which <laughs> I wonder how people respond to this one. Uh, we decided to put Metroid Prime Remastered as our number one game of the year. Ba, 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 ba. Yeah, I love Metroid Prime with all my heart. And the remake was perfect. Yeah. Or remaster. <laughs> yeah, this is this is more on the remake side than our, than a remaster in my mind. Um, yeah. And they did a phenomenal job. They did a better job with remaking this than I was expecting. They updated all the like the models. They gave us uh, they gave us the twin stick control scheme that you normally expect from shooters. This is the definitive yep. way to play Metroid Prime. It, they even have the motion controls for people like me that yeah. like the motion controls in Metroid. Yeah, they <laughs> they gave everyone everything like. I mean, they even get... added accessibility options like yeah. color palette changes and stuff. It's nuts. <laughs> yeah. And now Samus doesn't uh, blink like a chameleon at the end of the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they really improved that. <laughs> oh, the game is just so perfect. Like we've talked about Metroid Prime 
multiple times on this podcast, like the whole series. And like the Metroid Prime trilogy is probably my favorite trilogy of games ever. Yeah. Uh, just what they mean to me, how much fun they are to play. For the longest time, I played through the entire trilogy every single year, like at least once. And seeing Metroid Prime get this much love on the Switch was just amazing, especially since they basically shadow dropped it. Yeah. At the direct, they were like, oh, and by the way, I think it's like right after this direct, you can download it. And I was like, what? And, I and it, it was $40. Like, oh, yeah. man, they did everything perfectly. I, I am in shock because Nintendo typically mismanages metroid horrendously but with oh, dread yeah. and prime remastered maybe nintendo actually cares about metroid again like it's yeah well, oh and man. the switch has like the most metroid games you can play now because they have fusion and uh, do they have zero mission on the game boy advance one yet i haven't looked at that listing in a long time <laughs> but you also have super and metroid 2 and uh, metroid one on the switch like it's a great time to start being a metroid fan especially with dread and prime yeah prime remastered is so pretty it's probably one of the prettiest games on switch period despite being a remake of a 20 year old game right and that's what i i think they were able to get away with it is they had all the optimizations from the gamecube so all they had to really do was just make it look even better yeah, you know? and it's it's so good. Oh, I love Metroid so much. Like, it's hard to explain how much I love Metroid. Yeah, this was a game like I downloaded it immediately as soon as it was shadow dropped. Same, um, same. And then I played through the game literally three times and hundred percent each <laughs> of the time. Each time, <laughs> I didn't quite do three times, but I yeah, I played. It I, a lot. I had to force myself to stop playing it. I was ready to go for a fourth run. You are you are going to start learning speedrunning strats. Yeah, I was actually. Yeah, I was I was over the moon like it was. It's just so good. Um, It like giving us control our dual stick controls fixed like one of the biggest complaints with the GameCube release. Um, yeah, and like with how hard it was to aim. Yeah. <laughs> like, and like, yeah, the motion controls. I, I think the motion controls are great on the Wii, Um, but I'll, I'll yeah, take I love them. I'll take twin stick controls any day. And we finally have that option. I I am still in disbelief of just how good this remake is because <laughs> it's just outside of character for Nintendo to do something like this. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And I really, really hope that they do the same with Prime 2 and Prime 3. I kind of doubt that they'll doubt do it, the yeah. full remastered treatment. They'll probably do like what Pikmin did and just like HDify it. If uh, they HDify it like the Pikmin games, I'm still fine. So long as I get my twin stick controls for Metroid Prime 2. Right. I don't think twin stick controls work for Prime 3. That has to be motion controls, which is fine. Yeah. But uh, Prime 2, give me the twin stick controls. Yeah, I remember one of the developers of Prime 3 saying, like, it would be so hard for Nintendo to port Prime 3 to any other console that doesn't have motion controls. Simply because all of the puzzles are designed with motion control precision, like the way that you interact with switches and interact with terminals and the way that you have to point and shoot lasers at some points to fix circuits and all of that stuff. Like It was very clearly designed with motion controls around it. And I still love Prime 3 so much, Yeah, <laughs> even with oh, yeah. some of the jankiness there. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love I love all three Prime games. Um, I do, too. My <laughs> give favorite me, just give me the is HD two. of them. Just give me yeah. the HD because <laughs> I remember when Prime 3 came out, despite being 
a 480p game, right? During the age of <laughs> like all the competitors were on HD. It still looked like at the time one of the better games <laughs> that year. Oh, it looked phenomenal. <laughs> I actually would stop and like take pictures um with like the the screen capture mode on the Wii. It would just save them and I would just have an album full of just like Metroid Prime 3 <laughs> screenshots just because I loved how how good it looked and getting that game in HD. Oh man, I I'd probably lose it. Yeah. Like it's one of the kind of slower worlds, I think, but the one where you're in the sky yes. the whole time, that area just like blew me pretty. away. The, so it looks so pretty. It looks super steampunky, which was so cool. And uh, uh, I need to play Metro Prime 3 again sometime soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want. I definitely want Prime 2 and Prime 3. If they do HDFI them, I hope they also continue the trend of Pikmin where they are released at the same time together. Yes. Um, if they get and the full remaster, have... then I'm perfectly fine with Nintendo splitting them up. <laughs> Same. And I'm hopeful that like they'll release them before Prime 4 comes out. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think we have time to talk about the next year, but I think that if the Switch 2 is going to release in like second half of 2024, if it's coming out next year, which I think it is. I hope that they release Prime 2 and 3 HD if they're done, like uh, cor- beginning of quarter two, 2024. I would say quarter I would one. Love that. I would say release quarter them. one. Yeah, because they released Prime Remastered in February. I'd say do that again with Prime 2 yeah. and Prime oh, 3. Oh, yeah, that'd be good. That'd be good. Um, although I don't know how much they need to release these because I have a, suspen- a suspicion. And I personally, I think this is the better way to go about it. I don't think it's going to be Prime 4. I think it's going to be the start of its own isolated trilogy. Yeah, they're not going to name it Prime 4. They'll rename it something. It'll still be like the Prime 4 aesthetic and style, but um, or the Prime, but I I don't think it'll have Prime in its name. Or maybe they'll start using Prime as like a sub-series name for Metroid. So it's like Metroid Prime colon some new name. Yeah, I think it's going to be something, the start of something new though. So I don't well, know. It's kind of they... like how they've changed up Luigi's Mansion 2. It used to just be Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon, and then mm-hmm. they changed it to 2 to fit more into the series. So maybe they'll do something similar with Prime 4. Yeah, they also changed some branding for the Pikmin games. True. Like they replaced Pikmin 3's image so that it had the flowers when, or no, that it didn't have the flowers like before. Yeah, just weird. That was the only update that they did. They updated the game just to change the home menu icon. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing else changed. But All right. Hey, so anyway, uh, our game of the year is Prime Remastered. Um, hopefully people can accept that. <laughs> I mean, I will say Tears of the Kingdom is like a close second. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't think we have enough time to talk about next year. So we'll, we'll do that for the next episode. I do want to yeah. kind of mention like other games that kind of had an impact on me uh, outside of Nintendo. Like our list is Nintendo focused because it's a Nintendo focused podcast, but I do play a lot of games outside of Nintendo. Um, I absolutely adored Lies of P. Like it was, it was so <laughs> good. Um, that's basically like a Pinocchio Dark Souls game. And it is the closest we've ever gotten to like a true FromSoft game outside of FromSoft. 
absolutely phenomenal. I liked it more than the FromSoft game this year, which was Armored Core 6, but I still absolutely loved Armored Core 6. Um, it was my first experience in the Armored Core series, and it was a fun time. Uh, yeah. And then Starfield kind of sucked. That was that was basically my experience this year. Starfield's biggest issue is that I don't know. I don't know. Bethesda's kind of like the Pokemon or the game freak <laughs> of the West <laughs> right now. <laughs> but they at least spent a lot of development time overhauling their engine. Yeah. Even if it led to like the same problems as the rest of their games. Yeah. They just lacked heart. I don't know. I appreciate that this game exists just so that uh, Bethesda can say, all right, great. We're going back to being Elder Scrolls and Fallout machines. <laughs> That's all we're going to pop out from now on. I, Which, I don't I don't expect a Starfield to maybe. Well, when their marketing team had to reply to reviews saying, yeah, like when people are like, there are just some places where you can't do absolutely anything on some of these planets. And they're like, well, when NASA went to the moon, they found enjoyment or something, even though there was nothing there. And it's like, <laughs> you do realize that we went to the yeah. moon for science and exploration and discovery. And there was plenty to do for them up there. Yeah. Like there collecting was, samples. And anyway, there was a documentary that came out early this year. Um, I think IGN was one that did the documentary. Which for like the 25th anniversary of Half-Life, they went back and interviewed a bunch of people who worked on Half-Life. Um, and they got a, a segment with Gabe Newell where he was talking about how realism isn't fun. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I think that really applies to Starfield. I think they tried to focus too much on being realistic and no one actually wants to play realistic games even the people that say they like realism it's not realism that they want it's more of just like they want i don't know i don't know just well, go watch the half-life <laughs> documentary yeah. game Newell I mean, does a good job of explaining it it's like people play games for escapism like to escape the mundane of the daily life you know people will tend to gravitate towards games that they enjoy playing mm -hmm. that are different from their day-to-day -day life like that give them a challenge or invite them into strange, interesting new worlds or have a cool story or something like you don't play games to just do more work. Usually. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good list. I don't really play too many new releases besides Nintendo games. Like I spend a good amount of my time like kind of grinding magic or watching other people play games. Um it's been really fun watching my girlfriend play through Tears of the Kingdom. She's it's, she's just a very different player than I am with Zelda with how she just enjoys it. And it's fun to watch. Um, and, you know, I've I've played a few other games here and there. I've played a little bit of Baldur's Gate. I finally got around to some Elden Ring, but I just haven't really locked myself into those games because mm -hmm. I just do other hobbies as well. Yeah. I've been getting back into magic thanks to someone <laughs> that is a co-host on this podcast. Like, you know, so I, I think that there were a lot of really great, awesome games that came out this year. I am much more of a Nintendo nerd than I am other games, but it's still really fun and it's cool to see how the year has shaped out. I think this year has turned out to be a very memorable year in a lot of ways, especially for Nintendo fans. Like we got Mario, Zelda, Pikmin and Metroid all in the same year. Like that's crazy. And WarioWare. Don't forget WarioWare. <laughs> and WarioWare. Oh yeah, yeah. And WarioWare. It's, and Mario RPG. It's been a good year. Yeah. Yeah. It was, like, it, was, it was a decent it was a good year. Um I will also say like if we were rating games based off of playtime this year, 
Uh, my game of the year would have still gone to Monster Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> Monster Hunter Rise is really good. It's really good. Yeah. But so I, I'd say that 2023 was good in all. I don't think anything can really match 2017, you know, or even parts of 18. Um, I'm hopeful that the Switches, Switch 2's launch year is going to be awesome, but we'll have to talk about our hopes and dreams for next year next time. Yep. Right? Yeah. I think that'll be that'll be a fun conversation. Well, is there anything else to really add? Uh, did you want to kind of just go over your general thoughts about the year a little bit more? Um, I mean, it was, it was a good year. Uh, I, I mean, like we got Zelda Mario, <laughs> like <laughs> Metroid Prime Remastered. Um, as far as like a Twilight year for a console, I think this is the best one that Nintendo's had. Especially when you look back on the Wii U. Oh, yeah. And even the Wii. Like, I can't think of a Nintendo system that competes like for its final year against this one. No, definitely not. Because let's face it, Switch 2 is coming out this year. Yeah, it, it has to be. <laughs> Too many signs are pointing in that direction. And I mean that more than I did last year. <laughs> <laughs> well, so uh, there, there, there was there was a recent rumor. Um, Level five had a game where they delayed the game to late summer next year. And they were asked about it. That. And they said they were asked, like, do you have a specific date for it? As opposed to just like a general like release window. And level five's response was. We have a specific date picked out, but for strategic reasons, we can't exp- we can't release that information. Yeah, it, it was for the DECA police game, right? Yeah. Uh, so that that heavily implies a new console. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they they basically said it without saying it. It's like how Nintendo had to backpedal on all of those rumors this year. Like the Switch 2 was not at PAX or Games Conference or whatever it was. Like it was not there. It's like, okay, but you could have shown them something similar to the console and still yeah. be telling the truth. It, it clearly <laughs> was a PC with specs uh, targeted towards what the Switch <laughs> 2 would be. Yeah. But anyway, that that's all uh, next episode discussion. We'll go over some of the rumors, some of the. Uh, signs and some of the stuff that's coming out next year that really make us think that we'll see a new console finally after seven years at that point (laughs) (laughs) so cool is there anything else to talk about jordan anything else to say i think i'm good cool thank you so much for listening to this episode of the nintendo fusion podcast it's been a bit of a longer one compared to uh, recent episodes Uh, we're thankful for uh, you joining us and listening to our yeah 2023 year in review podcast episode we had a lot of fun recording and talking about it and hope you guys enjoyed listening please be sure to leave us a like or a comment or review depending on what platform you're listening to us on all of that helps uh promote the show so that other people can find it as well feel free to join our discord by going to nintendofusioncom discord that'll get you an invite right in here you can also check out that link in the show notes But with all that said, thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. See ya.